Our last week in our sermon series on intimacy, and some of you are going, praise the Lord, right? Uh, today we're going we're gonna to talk about another sensitive subject. Uh, we are going to be using the word sex in church, okay? Um, so I, I know that some of you may not be comfortable with your children being a part of that discussion. Totally understand that. We do have children's classes available uh, for them. Um, and now would be a good time to take them there. Uh, but I, I'll give you this. I'll give you this. This is the tamest of the three sermons, okay? So how's that? Um, we're going to be handling a mature subject matter, but we're going to be handling it like mature Christians, okay? Um, I want to start with a story. A friend of mine told me a story recently, um, and here's how it goes. I'm just going to say it like I'm him. Years ago, I was helping my friend put a porch on the front of his house. I helped him draw the plans, estimate the material needs and the costs, and then I helped him mark out the corners and dig the post holes. I was getting ready to, to work on laying the beams and the joists when my friend said, hold on a second, hold on a second, I have something that I need to do. And I didn't think anything of it at first, and he proceeded to go into his garage and, and get a shovel, and directly in the middle of where his new deck was going to be, he began to dig a hole. I said, what the heck are you digging? He said, here, just, you'll see, you'll see. He finished digging, he runs back into his garage, puts the shovel away, and he comes back with a black garbage bag. What is going on? He proceeds to pull out of the black garbage bag a school model of the skeletal system. And he dumps it into the hole and begins to cover it with dirt with his foot. And he looks and he says, some things are worth waiting for. I don't know who's going to buy that house in 30 years and if they're going to keep that deck. But if they decide not to, they are going to have a really bad day. <laughs> some things are worth waiting for, like the perfect joke. <laughs> Today I want to talk to you about something else. Some of the other kinds of things that are worth waiting for. Some of you have heard in the past, wait 30 minutes after you eat to go into the swimming pool. Anybody ever heard that? Anybody know any good science behind that? I don't. I've never gotten conclusive answers on that one. Some of you have heard, just wait until your father gets home. I don't know about the pool thing. Never heard any good science on that one, but I know what just wait until your father gets home is about. It's about understanding that your actions have consequences. Uh, here's another kind. We wait to graduate from high school because it'll improve our job opportunities down the road. We endure practice so that we'll be better on game day. We work hard so that we can afford something we really want. Uh, for me, that was a PlayStation 2. Really wanted a PlayStation 2 when I was young, and I mowed lawns for it, and I waited, and I saved up, and I eventually bought my PlayStation 2, right? We work hard to buy things we want. That's what this, here's what this is about. It's about learning to wait. It's about learning to wait to maximize your satisfaction in the future. You know what I could have done with the money that I spent on my PlayStation 2? I could have bought a lot of candy, I could have bought a lot of candy, and that would have been gratifying in the moment, but my long-term satisfaction was much better off when I got my PlayStation 2 and Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Anybody else in here? Is that ringing any bells for anybody? Okay. Thanks, Easton. All right, so um, 
It's about delaying your gratification to maximize it later on. And that's a good lesson. I think we'd all do well to learn that lesson in our lives, but it doesn't hold true for every situation. Let me give you an example. Let's say we took a church field trip after church and we were going to go to the Little Twirl. Anybody interested? Yeah, right? We'll get an amen for that one. We take a church field trip to the Little Twirl and everybody decides that they're going to get a soft serve ice cream cone. All right? No no judgment on what size you decide to get. That's between you and the Lord, okay? But you decide you're going to get a soft serve ice cream cone. Now, by show of hands, how many of you are going to wait until you get home to eat that ice cream cone? Anybody going to wait until they get home to eat the ice cream cone? Nobody? You're all going to eat it then? Why? How come you're going to eat your ice cream cone then? Well, because if you wait till you get home, it's not going to be ice cream. It's going to be ice cream soup. It's going to be a giant mess, and it's not going to be worth what you put into it. Sometimes you wait, and it's wrong. Sometimes things are best enjoyed right now. And we hear that argument when it comes to sex. So the world has an ice cream cone narrative when it comes to sex best enjoyed right now. The church has a PlayStation 2 narrative when it comes to sex. Why do we talk about it that way? Why, why, why do we say wait? Right? The easy answer is some things are worth waiting for, but you've got to understand that answer doesn't work for everyone. I want you to think about a 25-year-old man or a 30-year-old woman. Developmentally and emotionally, they're about as developed as they're ever going to be. Their career's starting to take shape. Maybe even it's taken off. And though they aren't married, their relationships with the opposite sex are mature in every other way. Many of those men and women at this point are going to ask themselves, why keep waiting? Why keep waiting? They may even say, I recognize that sex inside of marriage is better than outside of marriage, but I don't got any marriage prospects. So suboptimal sex now is definitely better than no sex ever. Why wait? Why keep waiting? It's an ice cream cone idea when it comes to sex. Standard answer that the church proposes is some things are worth waiting for. Certainly that's true, but I want you to understand that that's not the whole answer. If we stop there, there are a lot of people that are going to say, I'd rather eat my ice cream before it melts. Okay? So I want to give us a more complete answer to this question, why wait? Why wait? Today we're going to talk about why somebody should wait until they're married to become sexually active. And to do that, I want to look at three common lies that we hear in regard to monogamy. Okay? So here's the first one. Here's the first lie that we hear connected with monogamy. The Bible doesn't understand life today. The Bible doesn't understand my life today. Right? Maybe, maybe you hear something like this. Those passages were written to people who got married when they were teenagers. They got married when they were 14 years old. They didn't struggle with sexual temptation the way I do. I'm a 30-year-old who is intellectually and developmentally mature. How am I supposed to ignore my sexual desires? 
Bible just doesn't understand my life today. Or maybe I'm a teenager. I'm growing up in a world that is sexually saturated. Everything I see says that this is okay. And there's only this one little fragment of my life that condones it, that says it's not okay. How do we answer that? The Bible just doesn't seem to understand life today. I want to look at some of those passages. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we'll start in verse 18. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a price. So you must honor God with your body. Rather than engaging in the act of sexual immorality, the Bible says that we are to flee from it, that we are to abstain as we attempt to control our bodies for the sake of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 7.2 But because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. Here's what this says. It says that marriage is the only proper and God-honoring way to guard yourself against the dangers of sexual immorality. And it's the only prescription if somebody is unwilling or unable to control themselves. Let me give you another one. 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 3. God's will is for you to be holy. God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from sexual sin. Then each of you will control your own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Listen, I know it's difficult. I know it's difficult. God has wired us for intimacy. He has wired us to desire intimacy, but he's wired us for intimacy within the marriage relationship. So any sort of sexual intimacy that's outside of that is sin. So if you're thinking about, should I have sex with this certain person? There's one question that you should ask. If you're considering, should I have sex with this person? There's one question for you to ask. Am I married to that person? Am I married to that person? Pretty simple. Right? Questions like, do I love him? Or, Am I committed to her? Those are good questions. They may be even important questions, but they are not decisive. The ultimate and decisive question is, am I married to them? If you're not, then the Bible's pretty clear. You should not have sex with them. I get it. Some of you here today don't much like this answer. You're like, can you go back to talking about little twirl because you lost me at some point? Some of you aren't so sure about this. Some of you feel like the Bible is outdated. It was written when people got married as teenagers. They had six kids by the time they are my age. People in the Bible never had to worry about controlling themselves that way. Can I just submit to you that your argument doesn't hold water? Can 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 I submit that to you? An inability to control your desires does not make an action acceptable. I have a strong sexual desire that's not being met. Does that make pornography okay? I I have uh, a strong desire to steal things. I'm a kleptomaniac. Does that make theft okay? I have a strong desire to set things on fire. Pyromaniac. Does that make arson okay? 
In each instance, the answer is no. I want to take you back to some of the first advice that God gave in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 4, here's what he said. He said, you will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. I get it, guys. We have the same desires. God wired us that way. Women, you have the same desires. God wired you that way. But God doesn't call us to give in to our desires. He calls us to subdue them. He calls us to subdue them. Everybody say the word subdue. That's a strong word. Anybody ever had to subdue anything? Anybody ever had to subdue anything? That is an unpleasant task, isn't it? It's not easy. It is a wrestling match. It's getting your adversary into a position where they have no other move left. Their only option is to submit because they are subdued. God doesn't call us to give in to our desires. He calls us to wrestle them to the ground and put our knee at the base of their neck and keep fighting and fighting and fighting because what we're fighting for is holiness. God doesn't call us to give in to our desires. He calls us to wrestle and fight and subdue them. These Bible passages aren't outdated. I'm going to argue that they're as relevant today as the day they were written. I'm going to leave you with one thought, and then we're going to move on to lie number two. Okay? And this is just, this is just for you. Uh, if you have to justify your position, you probably need to rethink your position. Okay? If you have to justify what you're thinking, you probably ought to rethink it. All right? So wrestle with that on your own. We're not going to spend any time with it. Okay? Uh, here's lie number two that we are told about sex. Sex produces intimacy. Sex produces intimacy. It's a common thought. We hear, well, things are getting pretty serious. I think we're ready to take the next step. We've heard that before. We've been together three months now. I'm ready. Right? Uh, he really gets me. She understands me. We hear these things all the time. The problem is, the problem is that premarital sex builds a relationship backwards. It builds a relationship backwards. Let me explain. We talked in our first sermon that we are supposed to date someone's soul. Uh, God didn't create us to fall in love with a body. He created us to fall in love with a person's soul. Okay, uh, and, and so we are, we are to date their soul, and then sex becomes the celebration of our oneness through a marital covenant. So we date the soul. Some of you haven't been here for the, or weren't here for the first sermon. You're going, what in the world does that mean? Let me help you out a little, okay? Um, we date the soul. We get to know somebody on a spiritual level, right? Intimacy comes later. We examine how love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control are a part of their lives. We examine how they love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and love their neighbor as themselves. We see how the love of God transforms them and affects the way they live we are to date a person's soul and fall in love with a person's soul and then sexual intimacy becomes a reminder a renewal of that covenant relationship that you have with each other the problem is that when we introduce sex into a relationship before it's a marriage we're building a relationship backwards 
Here's why it's so dangerous and so confusing. It inserts a false set of emotions into a relationship. It inserts a false set of emotions into the relationship. A sexually active couple often thinks that they're, they're much closer than they really are. We have shared this significant thing together because sex is, God designed sex to be a significant thing between a couple. And so when two people share it, they often feel like they're much closer than they really are. Until something happens, right? Until he talks to the wrong person or she talks to the wrong person or they say the wrong thing and all of a sudden you realize, man, we are not nearly as close as I thought we were. It inserts a false sense of compatibility. Not nearly as close as we think we are. Oftentimes, there's no compatibility aside from the carnal. Here's what Jesus said on the subject. But God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. This is God's design. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not a split-second decision. It's not the result of what your friends are doing. It's not based on a false sense of compatibility or an emotional attachment that doesn't hold weight. God's design is two people getting to know each other on the soul level, committing to each other, and then, and only then, using sex as the language of exclusive devotion to each other for as long as you both shall live. Some of you may be wondering, well, why did God design us this way? He designed us to enjoy sex and then made it so it only happens in one specific context? Is that like a cosmic practical joke? Good one, God. I think, I think the answer is really simple. God designed sex this way to protect us. He designed it this way to protect us. Alice Freiling describes this protection really well. She writes this. She says, sex is an expression of intimacy not the means to intimacy. True intimacy springs from verbal and emotional communion. True intimacy is built on a commitment to honesty, love, and freedom. True intimacy is not primarily a sexual encounter. Intimacy, in fact, has almost nothing to do with our sex organs. A prostitute may expose her body, but her relationships are hardly intimate. Here's what she's saying. Let me boil it down for you. If our primary source of intimacy is sex, we'll find that we have no capacity for intimacy. We'll find that we have no capacity for intimacy. Uh, this is a form of the hedonistic paradox. And, and what the hedonistic paradox says is this. The more you pursue unbridled pleasure, the less pleasure you're able to experience. The more you pursue unbridled pleasure, the less pleasure you're able to experience. It's true across the board with sin. No high is as good as the first high. That's why people take more and more, higher and higher doses of drugs. No night of drinking is as good as the first night of drinking. That's why people drink more and more. No notification on Facebook. You think I'm being uh, a little facetious here, but no, listen to this. No notification on Facebook is as gratifying as the first one. That's why we check our phones every 11 minutes across the board as a culture. Right? We can't get away from our phones because we want that next notification. 
And no sexual encounter is going to live up to the first one. That's why people pursue more and more partners. And they say things like, well, if I can just find a partner that's more attractive, and then i got to find a partner that's more attractive than that. Well, God didn't design us to, to be attracted to a body. He designed us to be attracted to a soul. But the more we su- pursue unbridled pleasure, the less pleasure we're able to experience. Unless we do it God's way. Unless your first time is with your husband or your wife and you know that for the rest of your life you two will be the only ones who share this level of intimacy. So I want you to imagine it this way. Uh, imagine that you are a blob of Play-Doh. Okay? Um, you are... You are this nice yellow Play-Doh, right? You're this yellow Play-Doh, and, and, uh, and then uh, you are sexually involved with somebody before you are married, okay? And you two are, are carrying on, like, this is driving some of you nuts. <laughs> you are um, carrying on together, and things are, you know, going well, but ultimately what happens in a lot of relationships is you decide that, man, things just aren't working out, and you go your separate ways. But what you find is that you're different now. Something about me is changed, and I've left this person, but I'm still attached to them. There's still something significant about me that has changed. You're never going to be able to completely get rid of this person. You're never going to be able to completely get rid of them because you've shared something significant with them. There are going to be memories that you have. There's going to be a set of emotions that aren't going to go away because God designed sex to be significant. Donald Joy is a writer for Christianity Today, and he cited a study of 100,000 women, and it linked early sexual experience, listen to this, it linked that with a dissatisfaction in their present marriage. Why? Because there's always some part of you that's changed. It it links it with unhappiness, with the level of sexual intimacy in your marriage and a prevalence of low self-esteem. What we find with premarital sex is that we end up different than we were. Something about us is changed. Listen, I'm not trying to make you feel awful today. I'm really not. Um, I'm trying to make you aware of the fact that sex is serious It's not something to be experimented with as teenagers. It's not something to be taken lightly as adults. It is serious. In the wrong context, it can be damaging. But in the right context, it can be amazing. I want to share one more lie with you this morning. A lot of people are going to say that uh, sex determines compatibility. Sex determines compatibility. Right? You may have heard that before. Someone might say, well, I wouldn't buy a car without taking it on a test drive, would I? Right? How, why would I be involved in a serious relationship without going on a test drive? To which the woman should say, little boy, if you think I'm a car, you're going to keep walking. Why? 
because a test drive mentality leads us to comparison. This person isn't, good as, isn't as good as the last person that I slept with, therefore I shouldn't marry him. Well, guess what? Nobody is going to be as good as the last person you slept with. Why? Two reasons. First of all, the hedonistic paradox. The more we pursue unbridled pleasure, the less pleasure we're able to experience. Nobody's going to be as good as the last person you slept with. Here's the other reason. We idealize the past in our minds. This idea that sex determines compatibility, it just doesn't work. Well, maybe that person will say, well, I won't compare them to anybody. I just need to know. That's not true. That's not true at all. If you won't struggle with comparison, then why do you need a test drive? If you've never seen a car in your life, you will be amazed by any car, right? If you've never seen a car in your life, you will be amazed by any car. And if you've never seen any other woman in your life, you will be amazed by your wife. You hear that? Be amazed by your wife. Be amazed by your husband. That's God's design for intimacy. Test drives are for cars, not relationships. If you want to take a test drive with a person, date them for a few years, see how love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control affect their lives. See how they love God and their neighbors. See how God is transforming them. You see that difference? That's dating the soul. And if that lines up, marry them. And on your wedding night, I guarantee you, you will be amazed by your spouse. Let me sum up my argument this way. God is most definitely not against our joy. He's not against our joy, but neither is he for those fleeting and shallow shadows of joy which our world offers and portrays as meaningful. The Bible says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I think C.S. Lewis captured what I'm trying to say the best. Here's what he writes. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go about making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Sex is a gift to be pursued and enjoyed but pursued and enjoyed within the proper parameters. Playing in the sandbox may feel good, but it doesn't compare to the day at the beach. It doesn't compare. In the same way, premarital sex does feel good, but that does not mean it is good. Pursue a greater pleasure. Wait for that greater pleasure. Ladies, I, I don't know what his name is, but I know he's worth waiting for. Gentlemen, I don't know what her name is, but I know, I know that she's worth waiting for. That's my encouragement to any of you who are here today. Maybe you're in middle school or high school and you have to wrestle with this on a daily basis. Wrestle with it. Subdue it. I want to challenge you to wait. Pursue a deep and lasting pleasure with a husband or a wife that you will enjoy exclusively and intimately for the rest of your life. 
And I know that there are a lot of you in here today that feel like this. Right? A lot of you feel like this today. I don't want you to leave here today feeling broken. I want you to leave here today knowing that nobody in this room has out the grace of God. I want you to listen to this. Tyler, go ahead and put that scripture up on the screen for me, please. This means that anybody who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. Listen, God isn't going to sit here and try to pick the green out of your yellow Play-Doh. He's not going to try to to pick out the little bits of hurt from your past. If you ask him, he will give you a new life. If you need new life today, I want to invite you to get it. I want to invite you to come forward and be baptized. Maybe it's sexual sin. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's pride or addiction. I don't know what your sins are. But I know that we all have them. I know that left to our own devices, we all look like this. I know that, I know that none of us have outsinned the grace of God. So would you please allow him to give you new life today? is a shelter in which we can hide and it's grace so free sufficient for me and deep is the fountain as wide as the sea there's room at the cross for you there's room at the cross for you Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. You may be seated. Junior church kids are coming down. They are, Sam's going to give them a kick in the behind to tell them they can't come back anymore and we're going to give them a Bible. They'll They'll be down in just a minute. Just be patient.
Thanks, John. I don't know what he told you about me, but it ain't true. Um, thank you guys for being here today. Uh, this is a special time that we have uh, about the second Sunday of every August to recognize our kids that are graduating from junior church. Uh, and so what we'd like to do this morning is just share a little bit of our heart um, about what junior church is and what, how much these kids mean to us, and then uh, we have a gift for them. So um, in my three and a half years that I've been here, um, I, I spend a lot of time back in junior church every Sunday. And uh, I think the favorite part uh, about junior church that I have with these kids is that I get to see them grow. So I get to see these kids come in as second graders, um, see them uh, try to kind of rein them in a little bit and uh, you know all the excitement's there and the energy's there and you can and you know you see their their, their minds going you see their hearts going you see that they want to learn uh, and they and, and that they want to take that in and to watch them grow uh, they, they